It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today, we have, once again, I'm going to say it, a special guest, because every single one of our guests are special. But today, uh, we have a really good special guest. Um, This individual has been requested by multiple people on our podcast and through talking to me and Robbie. They're like, you got to have him on. You got to have him on. But I wanted to save him for a special occasion, and that special occasion has come and passed, and so we're here to talk about it. Uh, If you know Brian Harms, you know that he has a very extensive running career. He's been running his entire life. He's very knowledgeable in the sport, but at the extremely young age of 64, he decided to run a hundred miler. And so here he is today to tell his story. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Hey, thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So after that that introduction, I don't know, this might just go downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) We can be done. Yeah, I had I had to like script that one out. Normally we don't script anything, but that was straight off, uh, you know, the blank script here in my hand. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, I mentioned you have a uh, really extensive uh, running background and I know your story, but um, I'm sure our guests would be thrilled to hear it. So let's start from uh, from day one and let's work our way up. Wow, we don't have enough time, but we'll go (laughs) jump in here. Let's see. Well, I'm a Navy brat. You can kind of relate to that a little bit, Justin. Yeah. But uh, back in that day, uh, when we were growing up, it was about two years at every station that we were at. So um, when it became eighth grade, I went to another new school. And, excuse me, sitting in homeroom, we had a half day of school and everybody was talking to each, but, you know, people and I didn't have anybody to talk to and pretty bored, scared. And over the intercom, it came up, uh, anybody interested in the cross country team to report to the gym? So I had a decision to make. I hated where I was sitting at. I had no idea what cross country was. So I took off and found the gym. And found out that I'd be running. Didn't have any shoes or anything to start, but you know, the next day showed up and I was right there with the best of them. So that's how it all started. What grade was this? Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I can't remember my first coach, but I do remember my first coach. We were in Indiana when, uh, when I did start running. And I got to high school, and Dick Conway, um, one of the best coaches I've ever had. Uh, we, you know, we started practice two weeks before school, kind of like the football team does and stuff. And we would start at eight nineteen in the morning. And he asked, you know, I had no idea why we were starting at eight nineteen in the morning at that time. This was in the seventies. That was the world record time for the two mile. Oh, okay. So that was why he was starting practice at eight nineteen. And I think that just got lowered to like seven fifty four or something here a few weeks ago. So 
I did see that. Yeah, I did see that that record was yeah, broke. Man, what a long-standing like, record. Incredibly fast. <laughs> 54, <laughs> two sub-four-minute miles. It's just unbelievable. And so, you know, I ran cross-country and uh, track in high school, but we moved halfway through my junior year. And then we moved to Minnesota. Uh, uh, I went to school at Osseo, Minnesota. And there I was again not knowing anybody, and this was at Christmas break. So, you know, I went out, they had indoor track and went out for indoor track. And, you know, the running community is just kind of a, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are. If you're out there working, you meet friends right away. So it was, mm -hmm. that was always, that was always kind of the, oh, I've lost the words here. Uh, it got me involved in, and from there, had a, I got injured my senior in track, so I didn't, I only had a junior year in track and a, a senior year in cross country for the most part. I did run some track in the spring, but ended up with a stress fracture about halfway through. What event in track did you run? Uh everything long at mm. that time it was the two mile and the mile yeah you know i i did run once in a while i'd run the half mile and the two mile relay um and the cross country distance back then that was uh, a different distance too it wasn't what it is now in high school 5k well, right but i think in minnesota we were running three miles okay i think in indiana we were running two and a half miles gotcha it's <clears throat> That's a long time ago, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you put a lot of anyway, miles in since then. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, graduated high school. I came to South Dakota then, Belfouche. I'd worked the summer before in Fergus Falls, Minnesota with my aunt and uncle. They were uh, managing an ice cream and a burger place, food place. And before my senior year and then after high school, I really didn't have any plans. You know, I didn't really have any scholarships. You know, I was good, but not great. Um, so I, they were running the Belfouche Country Club at the golf course. So I came out to work with them and, and I don't know, probably about July of that summer, Dave Little, I'm not sure how he knew I was there, but he did came over and talked to me if I, and he was the coach at Black Hills State College at that time it was called, not university. Um, if I had plans and I said no, and he said, well, I'd like to see you come out for cross country and come to Black Hills if you'd like. And, you know, they didn't have any scholarships to speak of. They still don't really for cross country and track there, but so that's what I did and ended up running for three years there. I was going to be a teacher. I decided halfway through my junior year, I didn't want to be a teacher. Didn't really know what I wanted to be. And my uncle at that time then was working out in Wyoming, the same one that had been at the golf course at one of the, uh, they're called bentonite plants. Bentonite is volcanic ash and it's a clay that's used in all kinds of products. And 41 years later in the bentonite industry, you know, I retired <laughs> last year. So, but I've been running 
pretty much nonstop the whole time through that, through all of that. And you've run some, some pretty major races as well. You know, you have a quite a few marathons under your belt and no, I've only got one official and one unofficial marathon. Okay. Uh, my first unofficial marathon, I didn't have enough money to, I was in college. I didn't have enough money to, for the entry fee. So I just kind of jumped on board and jumped in the race. <laughs> and, nice. You know, they, I'd get to a spot and they'd ask me my number and I said, I'm running for fun. And I got some looks, but you know, I ran 236 something on that one. And uh, the next year I did have enough money for the entry. So I did go back and run it and ran 231. Wow. And smoking fast. Yeah, that was fast. It got me fourth place that day, but that was, I never won a really big race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, through the years, I've just done some small races. I didn't, in the late 2000s, when the Deadwood Mickelson Marathon, half marathon was getting going, that's when I decided, you know, maybe I can try that again. So I did run that for a couple times. Um, but I, I, at the time, I still liked running on the roads because that's all I knew. Um, but since then, how do I put this? I really hate to race. You know, yeah. I, I raced so much in high school and college and then right out of college, lots of the local races. And, you know, I just, I just don't like doing that and run until you puke and, and gasping for air. And, um, so it was like 2011, no, 2010, the Black Hills 100 started. And at that time it was a hundred mile, a hundred K and 50 miles. And I knew Chris and Shannon Stores. They were babysitting uh, grandson. Um, and then in the next year, 2011, Chris got a hold of me and asked me if he wanted, if I wanted to help volunteer. So I said sure. And that's kind of when I, the bug got into my head that there's more than just road racing. There's people out there that run trails, but. Um, so you really hadn't stepped on a trail as far as trail running from your whole running career up until you know, 2011? I thought about that. I forgot I ran Mystic one time in the late 70s, but I almost don't even, I mean, that is the low, longest running trail race in the South Dakota, but you know, the first two miles of it's on gravel road mm -hmm. and the last mile or two miles is kind of on another road. So I guess to me, that really wasn't a trail race, but yeah. But it was definitely different. But yeah, you're right. When I helped out in 2012 at the job I was doing that year, I was kind of a rover bringing supplies to some of the, like Crooked Tree and uh, uh, Bulldog, the ones that aren't crew accessible. That was actually the first time I kind of ever stepped on a trail was there. But then a little backstory to that, you know, I was running but I was starting to have big issues with my SI joint. I didn't know it was my sciatic or my SI joint at that time. 
you know, and my running got to be where I was limping and well, then I could walk and then so I could walk and then I kind of just decided, you know, this is probably it for me. You know, I was 50 some years old. You know, I talked to the doctor. Uh, the doctor would remind me of my age and say, you know, maybe you are getting too old for this. And so I went for an annual physical in 2012. And there was an, he did tell me, he said, you know, Brian, if, if you want to try to get healthy again to run, uh, there's a new physical therapist in town that's just starting out. And, you know, I hemmed and hawed and thought, okay. So I got an appointment and her name is Julie Wiggins. And at that time it's called Belfouche Physical Therapy. Since then it's called Belfouche or the Pain and Motion Solutions. And she did her exam and told me what she was pretty sure was going on. And she looked at me and said, you know, if you want to run again, Brian, and you're willing to do some work, you can run again. So that's kind of where my journey started back up to be able to run. And she had me doing physical therapy exercises that were really geared exercises. Um, you know, you think you're kind of strong until you do some of the exercises a physical therapist wants you to do. Yeah, you really there's, are there's nothing strong. there's nothing to to humble you than going to a physical therapist <laughs> that is so true so when you were uh, out there volunteering at those aid stations did you after seeing all the carnage because one some of those aid stations you know they're in the middle of nowhere they're you know you're 80 something miles in there's a lot of carnage that's taking place at that time is that when you kind of had the the bug like maybe i want to do this one day or you know I didn't really have the bug then because those distances were a hundred miles, a hundred K, which I had to look up and figure out how much that was. And, 50 <laughs> miles. and no, I did not have a desire to do that. It wasn't until Black Hills uh, 100, they dropped the hundred K and they added the 30 K and the 50 K. Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought 30 K, I can do that, you know? That's less than a marathon distance. And, and I'm trying to remember when I ran that, but I think it was around, uh, it was 2015 and 16, I ran the 30K both those years. I had to do it a second time because the first time I got lost. And that was a sick feeling. You know, I was so new to it. I mean, I didn't have hydration. I didn't have a vest. I didn't have nothing. It was hotter than heck out. And that was about as close to heat stroke, I think, as I've ever had is mm -hmm. those last five miles in to the finish. When I looked at my watch and had hit 20 miles, I thought, you know, I should be at the finish line. And I realized then, you know, why isn't anybody passing me? Because I'm barely moving. And that's when I had backtracked and found the course again and, and got myself to the finish line. So, yeah, that's a, that's a hard feeling to overcome being lost at a, at a trail road, especially one of your first ones and having to get back out there and do it again. That, that second time had to be kind of fearful in the back of your mind that you're going to, you're going to get lost. Not really. I really, I wanted revenge yeah. on the course. 
I mean, that was like, up until that time, I'd never really had an epic fail at a race until that one. And that was an epic fail. That yeah. Was, so I, I figured I owed that to myself to make sure I could do that. Uh, my first trail run, you know, that was my first trail race was in 2015. But really, I never ran on a trail until that day. Wow. You know, I it wasn't until late, you know, in December, I think it was, I looked up, you know, I got a hold of Mike Bent because I knew he was the one that was guilty of getting me out there on the trail <laughs> out in the Black Hills. And, and he wasn't real sure either, but we came up with 2000, the end of 2015 and then into 2016. And then I met, you know, all the different trail runners and, and it was just a whole different community than the road running. You know, when you're out on the roads, you feel like you have to keep running. <clears throat> you're, you almost get in heated battles. At least I would sometimes, you know, if you're next to somebody and you're going about the same pace, you just, you know, my high school, college days would take over again. Out on the trails, you know, if I hit a hill and I'm tired, I'm walking. Yeah. <laughs> you never thought about that when you're on the roads. So yeah. I kind of enjoyed that. I had to, it's still a learning curve, but learning the nutrition end of it and the hydration end of it and, you know, being out there for so long and um, just working my way up. Yeah. I think it's a and sport it was, that it's, it, it's tough. It's tough to master, you know, because you don't go out there and you do these long efforts, but maybe a couple times a year. And so you practice, you know, on shorter stuff and, this this works for me here but then when you get race day it it all falls apart you know and so it's a it, it's a really tough sport to master and so i yeah you're ever learning i thought i'd been running hills before that first 30k until i got there out on the centennial and then i found <laughs> out what a hill was that was horrible you got slapped in the face immediately then huh i did i did <laughs> so kind of lost my train of thought i do that a lot especially since i've gotten older <laughs> uh, you were, oh, you were at the 30 until, day, yeah yeah but it wasn't until they came up with the buffalo skull for running all four distances that's when i started thinking that okay let's take these one step at a time and maybe maybe i can do this if i can stay healthy yeah you know so which i didn't do i got hurt again a little bit but it wasn't until 2020 I was going to sign up for the 50k at the Black Hills 100 and of course I didn't have it so you year. took a you took quite a bit of time off from 2015 well, 2016 yeah I, I ran a lean horse 30k in 16 I think it was or no in 15 uh, I ran crazy horse half marathon the Nicholson you know in that time frame too 2016 I believe it was but yeah I've always had a nag of, of getting hurt mm. so that was about the same time too that I went through I was always having hip issues and knee issues or not knee issues but uh, lower leg issues so that's when I did some research and uh, running form and 
completely changed my stride and my running form. I thought if I'm going to be able to keep doing this, something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And learned how to get landing with your foot underneath your hip and leaning forward from the ankles. And, you know, I'm still not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. I, I would used to overstride. You know, the stride isn't in front of you. It's actually behind you is when you're striding right. You know, you're pushing off. And so there was a lot of things to go through that, changing my running form. But, you know, it was, I had to do it if I wanted to keep running. And I love running. Yeah. You know, it's been my passion. And so that was the route I went there. And, and a lot of physical therapy in between. And, and easier miles, too. I think that helps you know, being on the trails as much as I have been. And and you don't have to be running eight, nine, 10 minute miles. You still okay to run 10, 12, 15 minute miles if you have to. And, and that, that's way more acceptable out there, I think. Yep. And then if you want to keep doing it for a long time, that led into 2021. No, well, in 2020, I still hadn't ran an ultra yet. And I wanted to do one that year. And I was scrolling Facebook one night and saw Newton Hills, Glacier Hills was having their, they were going to run the race that year regardless. So I signed up for the 50K there. So that was my first official ultra. And I finished okay. Uh, When I got done, I told Karen, one of the race directors, I said, never again. You know, that was... (laughs) She didn't believe a single word you said either. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I sure believed it <laughs> when I, I had to drive 45 minutes, 50 minutes home and I couldn't get out of my truck. And I really believed it then <laughs> that that was it. But, uh, it wasn't, it was less than two weeks after that, that I signed up for the Black Hills 50 miler then. I know there was a group of people talking about doing it and, I didn't want it to fill up and not get in. So I jumped in and uh, as you know, I think we were running the hundred that year, Mm -hmm. but there was probably, I think we had in our picture 12 or 14 of us at the beginning of that race. Yeah, there was a lot. Trained together most of the year. So that was, that was fun. And the 50 miler went okay. You know, I had some Achilles issues going into it. So I, I had to let up a little bit. Uh, training wise, I was just running twice a week. You know, my training plan went basically out the window and I was doing about a five or six miler on Wednesday and then a group run on Saturday, whatever distance we were going and, and was able to get through the race. Okay. So, but yeah, I remember you, uh, you had some, some issues at about the what 12, 15 mile mark and you just got on a you got on a foam right. roller, and then when you ran by me with about 10 miles to go, you were flying. <laughs> you know, it seems like I was flying by you, but I got flown by this year in the 100-miler. You know, it's not <laughs> when you're about walking and suffering, you know, somebody going by you at 12-minute pace looks like they're flying. So, but yeah, I I was on the Nemo guest branch or that general store front porch there on my foam roller on my left quad and thinking oh lordy lordy it's 
I'm about 14 miles in. How am I going to get sturgeon? So, yeah. But, you know, they say never quit at a aid station. So, you know, the more I kept going, things started feeling better. And when I got to Dalton Lake, I was ready to roll. <laughs> nice. A little so, 20 mile warm up, and then you're ready to roll. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was weird. And that helped too. I'd been on Dalton to Sturgis, you know, on that quite a bit. I'd never yeah. been on that ATV section ever until that day. And I haven't been on it since till three <laughs> weeks ago. So. It's not a bad section to skip. <laughs> no, it isn't. That's especially when it's all full of water and there's lakes yep. from going from side to side, avoiding them. So yeah, the 50 miler went good. Uh, but the Achilles didn't heal up. You know, I, I should have took a lot more time off after the 50, but you know, when you're in pretty decent shape, you hate to take time off and yeah. it's just starting from scratch when you get to be my age, it's just, it's just horrible. <laughs> no fun at all. So, but I, I didn't have a choice. So I got the Achilles healed up and, and once again, eight months before the Black Hills 100, I just thought, okay, I'm signing up. So let's not worry about a training plan and let's just go out and put in miles and put in a lot of walking miles and go from there and see what happens. So. Yeah. You know, um, leading up to leading up to your training, I was, you know, following you on, of course I follow you on Strava and, you know, obviously we're friends. So we've talked quite a bit through it and, you know, you're picking my brain about things here and there, and I'm sure other people that have run the race as well, but Walk us through um, what does training look like when, you know, you've had injuries in the past, you've, you know, I always say, and I've heard this multiple times that a hundred miler is about eight times harder than a 50 miler. So I don't know what your, your idea of that is, but um, it's hard to give advice for someone running their first hundred is there's not much out there that really compares to it, you know, and so. Walk us through like, you know, what was your mind going through? What was your, you know, some of your training? What were you putting in? Well, you're right. I did talk to you and some other people and I figured, you know, you're going to be out there 28 to 34 hours is kind of what I figured. So I wanted to get as much time on my legs walking and running as I could. So I basically got on the treadmill. The winter out here was so bad. You know, I did a lot of incline walking on the treadmill. I'd go over an hour every day on that thing. I had a 20 pound, I still have a 20 pound weight vest that I'll, I'll use about twice a week. I don't like to use it a whole lot more than that. And are you walking on the treadmill with your weighted vest? Yep. Okay. Yep. And just, basically slow miles, but I did, I was putting in one day a week. I wanted to do speed work and I didn't do any speed work probably the last six weeks leading up to the hunter because everything had been going so good. I, if anything was going to get me hurt at that point was probably speed work. So I backed off on that, but it was a lot of walking and uh, Jessica Wallop in Sioux Falls, I ran with her on Thursdays and Saturdays. It started off on Saturdays because they weren't doing the group runs yet on Thursdays at Good Earth State Park down by Sioux Falls. So 
you know, and Jessica was running the Black or Bighorn 100 the week before I was going to be running the Black Hills 100. So I knew she was on some sort of training schedule and hers was always just hours, you know, and I would just show up on Saturday and say, well, only showed up once or twice, not knowing how many hours we were going to put in. <laughs> After showed up one time and, you know, I was thinking it was going to maybe be two hours at the most and we're, we're out there over three hours. So I, oh, thought, no. oh, I need to, I need to plan a little bit better. Yeah. Make sure I got enough nutrition with me, but you know, so we would just put in miles and miles just, you know, they're not, they're hills, but it's a whole lot different than the black hills because you're doing a lot of loops and running the same parts over and over again. Yeah. But, you know, if you got company there, it's, it's good. And, and so it was just a lot of walking and a lot of, and two to three times a week running was about it until about the last two months. And I did, you know, the weather got better and my mileage went up, went up some, but it was still a lot of walking miles was involved in that. And I was doing weight training too. Okay. I was going to ask if you're strength training. Yeah. And I wish I would have had a partner on that. I, I, I could have been better at strength training, especially my legs. You know, my legs is what gave out on me in the hunter that I felt fine. My nutrition was good. Uh, I'll quickly talk about uh, nutrition, I guess. Uh, you, you got me, uh, Julie Shobe, uh with, uh, she was on Instagram and I know you were following her and mentioned her. So I started following her and what she does for ultras and what she recommends. And she's a nutrition coach. And so I ended up hiring her for a 12 week program. You know, I'd seen and worked enough aid stations and enough experience at Black Hills 100 that I was more worried about bonking and puking and everything else that can go wrong that I'd seen happen. And, and I thought, well, if I can feel good nutrition wise, I should be able to finish this thing, even if I got to walk it. So, and that's the route that went on that, which I'm really glad I did. She's got some good stuff out there that, that worked for me and works for most of her clients too, as far as I could tell. Yeah, I um I, I kind of just loosely followed her. Um I didn't hire her for um, you know, for a nutrition plan or anything, but I loosely followed her for advice and you know, I I message her every once in a while, but um I used her advice in my last hundred and it went pretty it went fairly well. So um I, I think that was that was probably one of the smartest things that in my in my um personal experience, I think that was probably one of the smarter things that you did was hiring someone or, you know, seeking advice on nutrition, because that's the first thing, if that fails, I mean, you know, from your running experience, if your nutrition is off, the whole thing is falling apart, no matter how much running you've done, you know? Yeah. And that 50 miler, you know, I didn't have a nutrition plan. You know, I had lots of food with me and I didn't, everything went really good in that race. Yeah. But a couple of the training runs up to that, I bonked in those. And I can feel when it's happening or the onset of it, that unless you've got the right stuff with you, you're just, you know, you're, 
you're just going to fall further into the hole. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd heard your horror stories of Bighorn puking your guts out. Mike Sanchez <laughs> told me, you know, when he took that broth at Silver City. And, uh, you know, I hated to laugh, but I, it's hard not to. I mean, it is. It's, it's very comical. <laughs> And it, you yeah, know, yeah. I was even yeah. feeling well then. And it's just like, I don't know, just think things happen, you know, and you just have to learn how to overcome them and adapt. Yeah. I drive, I drive heaved in shorter races and stuff. And usually I feel really good after that would happen, but you know, nothing where, you know, you're out there for hours and hours and hours. You know, I, I don't even like the thought of that. I don't know how <laughs> you did it. So. So that led up to this year's Black Hills 100, you know, eight months out, I did the training, you know, the nutrition, I was practicing that on my Saturday runs, you know, I would practice it a little bit, you know, I would eat something always before I went to the rec, the fitness center here in George, uh, just getting used to having food in my stomach and, you know, your muscles, you know, your blood wants to go to your muscles, but you got to get used to having that food in your stomach to be able to digest that and process it and turn it into energy. So, and I had some good training runs. Um, I was a little bit nervous. Our, Jess and my longest run, at least with, when I was with her, was five hours. And we did 21 miles. We had over 5,000 feet of elevation in those 21 miles at Great Bear and Sioux Falls, the ski place. But, <clears throat> you know, that's only 20% of the race, not even 20% of the mm -hmm. race at Black Hills 100. So, it was, you know, that was edged in the back of my mind. Is that really enough? You know, that I know I've looked at some training plans and I think most of them call for 100K in there somewhere, maybe six weeks out. You know, just doing one of those. And I had to kind of look at, you know, I got to be healthy enough to get at the starting line and, you know, fit enough to get to the finish line. So if I start doing 100K, you know, is that going to keep me healthy enough to get to that starting line? So I, I don't know. So that's, that was the route I went. You know, I, like I said earlier, I wish I would have done a little bit more in the weight room on my legs, but, you know, I, I really can't complain about anything. Yeah. Well, I think so, that, I think leading up on your training, I think you, you played it smart because you knew your history of your own body, you know, and you knew going out and doing a real long race like that, it's probably not feasible. So I think that, I think you played it absolutely smart. Well, it turned out that way, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, being my age, when I started looking into the hundred or after I'd looked into the hundred, I, I, I was pretty sure Chris had told me, Chris Storrs, one of the race directors had told me, you know, if you're over 60, you can have pacers the whole way. Well, probably five months ago, four months ago, I, got to thinking, did I dream that or did he actually say that? Was I hoping he said that? So I, I texted him to make sure that was the case. And he said, yep. So that's when I decided I better get my crew, you know, get some people lined up and 
because I was going to take full advantage of that, have the pacers from mile one to mile, for me, it was 107. So, um, and that was the fun part, getting that lined up and seeing how excited they were. But at the same time, it was putting pressure on me. You know, it's like when you're on a relay team in college or high school or anything, when you're running a relay, you know, you're not just running for yourself anymore. There's other people depending on you. So yeah. I, that was added pressure, but it was good pressure. You know, I, I told some people, oh gosh, probably about three months ago, you know, probably in April, you know, June's coming up and I told a couple of people, you know, I'm starting to get scared shitless here. <laughs> but <laughs> as the training proceeded and everything, you know, I'd get like that five hour run we did with Jess. You know, when we got done with it, I could have kept going. I felt great. So that was giving me more confidence. You know, I started feeling instead of being scared shitless, I got to that. Oh, I was can't even remember the words I even used for it, but I was, I was getting a little bit optimistic about it that, uh, that I could, that I was going to be able to pull this off. So, yeah, I think being scared before a race is a good thing. Cause that means you care. So I think yeah, that, you know, having that fear, if you, you, I think you'd be a psychopath if you didn't have a little bit of fear going into your first hundred, but <laughs> Yeah, that's what I always tell people. If you're not scared, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you paid good money to sign up. You don't want to fail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to, you know, so I, so I, I reached out and I, some of my friends from the Black Hills that I knew that weren't going to be running the 100 this year, and I didn't know if they were helping other people, but I got a hold of Candace Gustafson and Erica Winchester, Dan Berkey, uh, good friend from college, Jim Glazer, uh, AJ Prouty helped me out, and, and there's one more in there. Too. Oh, my pacer through the night, Chris Riley. <laughs> Gosh, he was a godsend. He was a rock. You know, when the <laughs> weather turned, I was two miles from Pilot Knob, and the weather turned to shit. So, oh man, it dumped. He he was level-headed and and yeah. Without Chris, I don't know. You know, there's people out there that do this without pacers and no crew and anything. And I'll tell you what, more power to them. I I got a lot of respect for those people. I I you know maybe you could dig down and find something else, but I don't know. I I don't even want to think about it at this point in my life. So. <laughs> It has always intrigued me if I could do it without, without a pacer, that would be, that would be my first step. And then I will, we'll look at the crew past that. But I think the crew, the crew helps out so much. They do. They, you know, and it's a fun experience for everybody involved. And as long as everything goes, you know, pretty good. It was, you know, every year the Black Hills 100, there's, Mother Nature comes in there one way or another. It seems like it's either too hot or we've got some thunderstorms or there's always something. Mostly it's heat, I think, that mm -hmm. takes out 
takes out most of the years, but this year, you know, I guess I consider myself an East River runner now. And so we don't get any altitude training down here, we'll talk about, but we get heat and humidity. So we kind of think that makes up a little bit for the altitude that we're missing out on. But yep, that's what they say for sure. You know, it was a little humid at the start of the race until it's that night, but it wasn't, it was by no means warm out. And, and when I got the pilot knob, you know, it's it's officially summer on the calendar, and I was in Dan Berkey's SUV. I was shaking so bad I couldn't even drink my my drinks. I I, I was all I had to be close to being hypothermic, I would guess, but it was it was absolutely horrible. I I don't like cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, you live in a crazy yeah. place to not like the cold. <laughs> yeah, I got a you know a pellet stove and heat and you know can stay indoors. I don't have to go out in it hardly anymore. <laughs> I, I I do walk to the fitness center here in town, and that's not that far from my house. So, and I dress up for that. I mean, when I go outside, all you can see is my nose and my eyes. <laughs> just about that's about it. So, you know, when you're running, you got to can't quite do that covered up you know otherwise you're gonna definitely overheat well take us through the race so you uh we built up a little bit of your training and everything and you've gathered all your uh your pacers and crew let's uh let's go to race day well you know i've been to the start of that race more often than not for the 100 mile and i've always thought you know, just thinking what it's going through all those people's head as they take off. And, and this year, as I lined up, it was, boy, here, it's my turn. So it was just surreal feeling there when I took off. And you can't, for me, I couldn't look at the big picture. You know, this race is aid station to aid station to aid station. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you just, and nutrition. And, you know, I told my crew, I was expecting three things from them. The first one being, you know, you need to be able to lie with a straight face. You need to tell me I'm looking good, whether it's complete bullshit or not. (laughs) Uh, You got to make sure I'm eating every 30 minutes and you got to have some fun and take pictures. So, and they did an excellent job at all three of those. I'll jump ahead real quick, just because I was relating to that. Uh, good friend of mine, Nikki Reinsbach from Sioux Falls, was at Elk, at Elk Creek on my way in, and she took some pictures of me there. I don't think I've ever seen my body, my physical appearance look any worse than what it did at Elk Creek. <laughs> but I, I didn't think I felt that bad, but it just, it just that was the epitome of Wow. If I would have seen those pictures, I probably would have quit right there. (laughs) And for you guys that don't know at that Elk Creek, he still has about 18 to 20 miles left to go. So quite a, quite a a bit of a feat still. So I had Candace leading off and as I wrote, she likes to talk a lot, which was perfect. What I needed just to take my mind off things. I wanted to make sure Told her we can't go too fast. And if she was, I was just going to slow down. She was behind me. So she was just going to have to run there anyway. 
And so we were at the back of the pack and comfortable. Uh, we took a Tina Scott was with us. Uh, she, she ran the 30 K the 50 mile and the hundred mile. We lined up all three of those races together. Wow. And I missed the 50 K when she did it. I got to come back next year and do the 50 K that we took a selfie together at, Oh, I suppose three miles into the race. You got a good view of bear Butte. Yep. And so we took a picture there. Sound of music. We, yep. That's a good name for them. I like yep. that. I, uh, I, I thought of that. Where the, where the hills meet the prairie is where, you know, that all taking place. But the first time I went up there, I was like, these look like the, the, the hills from sound of music. So that's, that's what I've always called them. Gosh, can I use that in my next write up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. Everybody will know what you're talking about. Everybody that's ran with me will know what you're talking about. So, okay. so, you know, we got, to, those miles just flew by. We got to Alkali, the first aid station at about seven miles and took off my vest. And even though I had a whole lot of experience with the crew that I had, it looked like Laurel and Hardy and then some trying to get that my hydration vest filled <laughs> and and so it didn't go real smooth but it you know you're in a hundred mile race so it doesn't really matter so uh, so my next pacer was Jim my college buddy and took off from there and went under the interstate and kind of tiptoed underneath box culverts there just to stay dry. Mm-hmm. hadn't really got wet yet so um and you just got that steady climb up the top of bulldog uh so we didn't we weren't in a hurry we just took our time i showed him a couple turns that we could take off of here and go to the sturgis dams that's one of my favorite routes out there uh going back there um and when we dropped down in bulldog I had all my nutrition I needed. So I just basically, I was number 25 and just told him, Hey, 25 is in and out and started uphill from there. And that's when I noticed Jim was kind of breathing heavy. You know, <laughs> he'd had problems the day before he was, had allergic reaction to something and he had mentioned it. And so I had a decision to make. We were probably a couple miles out when this was taking place and <clears throat> I thought, do I stay with my pacer? You know, it's daylight. He's not going to get lost. Or do I just keep going? Because I wasn't going, I felt comfortable. I didn't feel like I was speeding up or anything. And so I just kept going my pace and, and this, so that was the only time I really ran alone. I passed some runners on that stretch, but, uh, um, so nothing really bad or good happened in that section and dropped into Bulldog and, or excuse me, uh, into, uh, Elk Creek. And this time, you know, they're, they had a different plan in place. Erica says, give me your vest, give me your vest and me go get on, you know, do, and I had some special items I was going to eat at each aid station. I had yogurts and, uh, Mandarin oranges. I love those. Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. But I went to take off my vest and my curls in my hair 
<laughs> had gotten around my hydration tube. Oh no. And it wasn't coming off. <laughs> and <laughs> so I started ripping my hair oh. and you could actually hear it ripping. And the two women there, uh, Erica and AJ, they just gasped and they heard the ripping going on. <laughs> and one of them mentioned something about scissors. And I thought, holy shit, they ain't cutting my hair. So I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> so all I did was start ripping harder <laughs> before they any scissors showed up. So anyway, I got the best off and, you know, I ate my yogurt and, and ate my Mandarin. Uh, Erica got my hydration vest filled up and my flask. I had a flask with Tailwind. I just had water into the bladder. Uh, I'd read, you know, you don't want to be taking all sweet stuff. You should be drinking some water too that, you know, that lose, you could lose your appetite maybe. Anyway, so got my best bet. Oh, and then Erica put my hair in what she called a, oh man, I don't remember the name of it now, loop-de-doo or something. <laughs> anyway, she put my hair into the tightest bun that it's ever been in and and it held up for the whole race. In fact, it held up too good. I couldn't even get it out after the race at the motel room to take a shower. I had to kind of just rip at my hair again and break that rubber band and it still didn't really want to come down. But And the next section is a fairly long one because you don't have crew access to Crooked Tree. So Erica was going to run that section with me and <clears throat> and we did, as you know, probably a mile and a half from uh, the trailhead, you come to the five creek crossings, and this mm -hmm. year they all had water in them. Mm -hmm. And that was a first for me. I didn't know how my socks were going to hold up and my feet, and but that all went good. The water actually felt good, you know, going through it. I don't know. We had uh, oh, caught up to a guy from New Jersey, and we're talking with him and we passed him but he stayed behind erica and so we were having a three-way conversation going and and as you know i wrote a book it was last year and and erica started promoting my book to this guy from new jersey and <laughs> I, I thought to myself well bless her heart she's out here promoting my book and i thought well he probably won't remember anything anyway and remember any of the conversation so um, we got to Crooked Tree and I actually stopped this time a little bit when we got to that aid station and I was feeling great. Um, they had some tortilla wrap, you know, small roll-ups. I took a peanut butter and jelly one. I don't remember if I drank anything or not. I, I think I took a hammer, uh, gel and we took off from there. Um, this was the one part in the race where I, I got a little emotional because uh, we had a grandson that was born in October of last year and it was about Christmas time. And, and I hadn't told any, well, people knew that he was sick and his name is Guy and he got really sick. He had RSV and They couldn't wake. He'd been to the urgent care a couple times leading up to this day, but they were having a blizzard back there. 
and we were <clears throat> just starting to get the blizzard here too and they couldn't wake him up from his nap so angela got a hold of my wife who is an rn gene and said well you better get him up and since he had all these things going on get him to the hospital so my son who was in the air force and actually you know you and i've talked about this justin did the same job as you did mm-hmm. and he's working at fort meade now and doing the same thing that he was in the air force but him and the oldest grandson they took him to the sturgis hospital and they wanted to transfer him right away to the rapid city regional hospital where they were set up for these types of cases and but they were all booked full all the beds were full so that's when the staff said angela needs to get here like right right now and so the police officer came over to newell and picked her up and got her to the hospital in the meantime they called the priest and so i mean he was about as close to death as you could be and that's that's when I, you know, it had nothing to do with the what was going on with Guy, but I, you know, making deals with God isn't really what you're supposed to do. And why I brought it up to think, you know, if he's gonna, if he can fight for his life and hold on, I'm gonna be able to fight for my be able to finish that Black Hills 100. You know, the two weren't really related, but I thought if he can do it, I can do it, you know, come June. And so I mentioned all this to Erica, and I'm not even sure why I did. I hadn't told anybody this, but I think I, deep down, I kind of wanted some accountability if, you know, things turned to shit somewhere out there on the course. So, <sighs> sorry about that. But so, anyway, couple days later you know she sent a video of him breathing you know in Sturgis and it was just my heart was just breaking it was just every breath looked like it could be his last and but two days later they were able to get him to Rapid City and they got him on stuff doing the stuff that they were doing because there was a lot of kids having RSV at the same at that time and, and he responded right away and you know, within a week he was home. So awesome. He, yeah, he held up his end of the bargain. Now it was between God and I, and I was going to have to get through my 100 no matter what. So anyway, so I told Erica that, like I said, I don't know why, but I think it was accountability, but so I get to Dalton Lake. I'm feeling good. Um, AJ is going to take me to the next section to, uh, uh, Nemo. And we took off out of there. The weather was still good. Uh, caught up to a runner from Fergus Falls. That's where I'd worked my senior year, you know, before my senior year in high school. So I had a little bit of history with that town. So visited with him for a little while. Uh, Got her picture with the picture frame there with Randy Erickson, the legendary <laughs> Randy Erickson. That's always cool. I'd seen the pictures before. I'd never, I didn't know really where he took them, and there he was. So, uh, caught up to Jessica Purcell during that section, and she was looking strong. 
you know, I, I don't think I slowed down, but after a mile or two going together, she just, boom, she took off. So I thought, well, that's, I'm not running that fast. I'm just going the same speed I'm going right now. <laughs> oh, one other part too. I, I did warn all my pacers that we were going to take our friendship to an, to a new level. Uh, this is before we started the day. And, and I said, what I meant by this was when it's time for me to pass gas or fart, I'm not holding back, <laughs> you know, I don't I, need I, any, I tell my, my pacers, it's same thing. Don't yeah. better out than you in. Know. Yeah. I mean, you're already concerned that GI issues could happen. You're not, yeah. I'm not holding back anything. So nope. And for you, for you guys listening out there that have never run a big race like that, just trust me, do not hold that in. Do not be fearful of it. <laughs> let her, let her fly. Cause every single other person out there on the trail is doing the exact same thing. It's an eating and farting competition <laughs> with a couple <laughs> steps in between. <laughs> you know what they say, never trust a fart. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> Well, thank goodness I didn't have that issue, I guess, but <laughs> I was sure trusting them. <laughs> Some of my pacers got to, were probably wondering what the hell was going on, but they, I don't think Candace had to put up with much, but I know Chris Riley did, and I know AJ did the next day for sure. I know Jim did. I know Dan, but yeah, I think about all of them, they, and Erica too, so they, we all took that friendship to that next level. So, <laughs> uh, so, you know, you come out, you finally get off that ATV section and you get about, I don't know what half mile on the road next to the shoulder on 380 mm -hmm. or not. That's not 385, but, uh, whatever road that is mm -hmm. coming in there. And, and then they moved the aid station about three quarters of a mile up from the Nemo guest ranch or the general store there, uh, this year. So, just have gravel road all the way up to there. And I was feeling great. Everything was still going good. I was still running, you know, decent amounts of time before I'd walk, you know, hit a hill or something. And, and that's uh, when Chris got, you know, his stuff, he was ready to go. Uh, it was still light out. I asked Chris if I needed my headlamp and he said, no, he had his with him. Uh, I didn't think it would take us that long. So I didn't grab, I had an emergency poncho with me, so I wasn't worried about the rain so much. Um, if I could do that over again. I would have took my rain gear with me, but I didn't. <laughs> Who would have expected that? <laughs> yeah. Good lightning and hail and Yeah, it was about five miles rain. into that, that my life just turned to shit right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that emergency poncho looked all good when it was all wrapped up in the bag and I didn't have to try to put it on in the rain and yep. and being however many miles you are into the race. You know, I put it on the first time and, you know, it comes with a hoodie on it already. Well, I had it bent backwards. So, you know, I was breathing into the hood. Oh. <laughs> so then I had to kind of get it off again and get it twisted. And then I had it on sideways and 
and Chris had gotten his reindeer on his coat and stuff. So he came and helped me get it back. He got the hood on right for me. And, you know, I got my hat situated. And by that time I was soaked to the bone and, you know, we took off and needed the headlamp, got dark on us. The lightning flash went one time so bright. I thought his headlamp went out. Mm. It was just, it was horrible. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking there was no way I'd ever be out running in this, you know, any other time. But right now, I mean, <laughs> you just wouldn't. Well, we get the pilot knob and I'm, I'm frozen. You know, the people that didn't have crews and if they're at that same juncture in the race as me, maybe they got their rain gear on in time and they weren't froze. But I was frozen jumped in Dan's SUV. Erica took my best and she was in the back of the SUV trying to, you know, get my next nutrition lined up and hydration. And then they're looking for my mittens or my gloves. And, and Dan turned the heated seat on an SUV and he had the heater blowing on high on me. And it'd been a few minutes and I told Dan, it's, this thing ain't working. It's just not getting warm. And I'm just shivering so bad. I couldn't hardly drink. It was just, it was terrible. And then I looked down, I saw his AC button was on on, oh. on the SUV. So <laughs> it was cold air. I had windshield working for me in June. So we got that turned off and, you know, started to warm up. I needed a new shirt. And I tried putting that shirt on and, you know, on a damp body and sitting in the side I couldn't get it on uh, so Erica she was she was a godsend she just said here I got out we got underneath the tailgate or the hatchback of that SUV and she rolled up the sleeves and she's got a daycare and she dresses kids and she dressed one big kid and me and had me had that shirt on me and got that rain jacket on me and got my gloves on and and then I thought, well, shoot, now we got to go running again. <laughs> Still but, you know, we just, we took off from Pilot Knob and, you know, at that point, it's, at least it wasn't from the start. So, you know, your next stop is going to be Silver City, halfway point. Mm -hmm. And that's always good. Oh, between that, between Nemo and Pilot Knob, the leader of the race was already headed back. I thought, oh, Lord, man, he's running fast. So, yeah, he was smoking it. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we got on that, <clears throat> you know, you don't have much ATV in the section left. Excuse me, I, I haven't talked this long forever. <laughs> uh, got on that ATV, got off that ATV section, you cross Highway 385 and you know, Chris was telling me, just go straight ahead, straight ahead. We'll hit the trail. And, you know, he was right. It was right there. And it, it kind of quit raining when we got to that point. The trail was really easy to follow because it was just a river. So, you know, <laughs> you slop through it. You kind of run to the side a little bit where you can but you don't want to run too much to the side you don't want to trip over something that you can't see either mm -hmm. so you know you got the headlamp on and i had a waist lamp too so that that really it lit up good really well 
uh, met some more runners, you know, leaving Silver City. Uh, it was during that section that I really started slowing down. My quads were giving out on me. Uh, the downhill sections were just, you know, they were a little treacherous because they were slippery. I was tired. I didn't want to get going too fast and get out of control. I almost went off. I forgot about this till just now. I about went off the damn hill coming down uh, in the Silver City about oh, no. halfway down that big hill. Yeah, that's a pretty steep one. Yeah, I got a little bit out of control in one spot there, but got braked up enough in time on some trees and stuff before I did go falling off. But uh, got down to the bottom of that. There's a little stream crossing down there with a log going across. Uh, I didn't even think about trying to log. I was already so wet, it didn't matter. So I just hopped into that water and in and out and got soaked doing it. But at, like I said, at that point, it doesn't really matter. You've been wet for quite a while. Mm -hmm. uh, got to Silver City. It was probably quarter to 12, 11.45 at night. So that was pretty much on schedule. I thought 13 to 14 hours of running to get me there. And so it was 13 and three quarters. Uh, we weren't there too long. Erica went through all the trouble. That I brought some chicken noodle soup along uh, that Jean had made that was really good. And I saved the leftovers because I was going to have them in Silver City and I didn't. <laughs> so I felt kind of bad about that. And I should have. I, I would have done me some good, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, got my vest loaded up again and there was a couple guys sitting there that didn't look in really great shape and Chris made a good point to me and said take a look at those guys you're looking way better than they are so you know try to give me confidence and he also told me from this point on you know you're one step closer to the finish line mm -hmm. you know, each step we take this way so that was good and we started the journey back you know, you got that big climb again right in front of you out of Silver City. But climbing was actually almost getting easier for me than going downhill. You know, I was almost having to walk both of them, it seemed like. And when I was running, it was just in spurts. So uh, it started clearing off during the night. You could see your breath at that point the rest of the night. I don't know what the temperature was. It was probably... It probably wasn't in the 30s. It was probably with, you know, the amount of dampness in the air and stuff that you could, in the hot air coming out of you that you could see your breath. But uh, I distinctly remember the frogs once we got across the highway again. Uh, they were just loud, loud, loud when we were running. Yeah, I heard them too. Uh, like around uh, after Pilot's Knob, I heard them. There were, they were quite a, there was quite a bit of them. Yeah, you know, they might shut up right when you got on top of them, but until then, they, they weren't. Um, I don't really remember much at Pilot Knob the next time around. Um, guessing we went in and out of there fairly quick. Um, then at Nemo, you know, it was just a slow, Yeah, it was just, you know, slow and steady, uh, getting 
on that section again. And, you know, that ATV section was just, they were just lakes everywhere. You know, you just one side of the trail to the other side, back and forth, just trying to find your safest, driest way to, you know, navigate. Um, at Nemo, it was just starting to get light a little bit. Uh, I got rid of my waist light then. Uh, I even got rid of, I don't know if I got rid of my rain gear or not. I guess I'll have to go back and look at pictures on that and see that <laughs> I just don't remember. I think I was afraid to give it up. I was just, I thought the last thing I want to do is get caught without the rain gear. <laughs> so I know I had it at the finish, but, uh, you know, and then you got that road section again out of Nemo. So it was light enough that we didn't need our headlamps anymore. So we had to kind of run down our crew because we'd had our headlamps still on, kind of forgot that we were going to be having road section for a mile or so. Uh, that was one little point of the race that I decided I needed to find a porta pot. You know, I took off maybe 50 yards, 50 meters out of Nemo aid station there and decided, you know, I think I'm going to turn back around. And, I don't really want to poop in the woods that bad. <laughs> and it was a really good choice. Oh, they'd given me new mittens, new gloves, new gloves to have. And I set them down somewhere. I didn't know where I set them down. Uh, I got down in the porta pot, came out, could not find my mittens or my gloves. Uh, I thought, well, they probably fell down in the porta pot. I'm sure not going <laughs> looking there. <laughs> so. You know, it's a good thing the wind wasn't really blowing in there because, you know, my hands, you know, they didn't, I had trekking poles with me the whole way. So I, mm -hmm. I, you know, you really can't cover your hands up when you got those. So, but I, my hands stayed good. Uh, that section to Dalton Lake <clears throat> got long, especially about the last two miles before you turn that left-hand turn off you know, that ATV to head down to the Dalton Lake. It, that just took forever, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. um, when we got down there a little bit closer, uh, could hear a lot of activity going on. Saw a bus delivering some runners. So I knew, you know, it was we were in front of the 50K people, but it was still, it was still, they hadn't started yet and uh got to my crew there the sun was shining it all looked good talked to some people there that were running the 50k uh chris riley's pacing duties were done uh aj was going to take me to elk creek from there how are you feeling there because that's about mile 70 and that's you know for the most yeah. part where people say the race starts and i would agree but yeah, it might start for the 50K people. It didn't start for Brian. <laughs> uh, Mike Bent and I had talked probably a couple weeks beforehand, and he had told me, get the Dalton Lake. Just get the Dalton Lake. So I got the Dalton Lake, and I'm like thinking, Mike, now what do I do? I still got 50K left. <laughs> it was just, you know, I know what he meant. I mean, if you get to Dalton Lake, you can get to the finish. You know, you mm -hmm. know that part of the course pretty good. 
if you're from the hills area, you've done a lot of running on there. You're back on the trails, but it's still a long ways mm-hmm. from there. And I started thinking about my first 50K that I ever ran in 2020 and how long and far that felt. And this that's probably where my mind was the worst, was just thinking I, I – got out of that mentality from aid station to aid station. I was thinking from Dalton Lake to Sturgis mm-hmm. and I wasn't putting crooked tree and elk Creek and bulldog and alkali in between. I was just looking at the big picture there and that I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You got to break it uh, up. Yeah. And I don't know if AJ was thinking we were going to run. If she did, she was in for a rude awakening because it was mainly <laughs> power hiking, you know, and, I was, Chris was getting mad at me because I was stopping for all the 50 or the 100 mile runners that were coming at us, you know, out of Silver City and all those sections. And, and he, I know I was within earshot and I, I heard him tell AJ, make sure he isn't, when people come up to pass in the 50K race, don't make sure he's not, he just stays on the trail. He just keeps mm-hmm. running. Yep. You know, because they know, you know, Somebody moving that slow has probably been out there a while, running a hundred miles. So we got to Dalton Lake to uh, Bulldog, pretty good. I didn't have pull, time to pull over for the first guy in the 50K. You know, he went by me so fast. I, if I could have gotten his draft, I could have picked up a little time. <laughs> but you know, I was kind of blaming the trail and stuff for my slowness at that point. But then I saw what somebody on Fresh Legs could do on it. And I thought, well, can't really blame the mud and stuff at this point anymore. So <laughs> uh, we stopped at Crooked Tree, had some, I ate a little bit there. Um, and that's when bad things started happening. When we left Crooked Tree, about a half mile out of there, had a group of three or four 50k runners come up behind me and I pulled over off to the side and as they were I was pulling over I got too close to the edge and I was a kind of a train wreck in slow motion I kept thinking I knew I was I knew I was falling but I knew I was going to catch myself at the same time I was I wasn't going to fall that was until I did fall (laughs) you know it wasn't a face plant fall it was just fell off the edge and tumbled down a few feet into some dead trees Hmm. that were down there. And the last runner that came by asked AJ if if she needed some help getting me up out of there. And she said, no, I get them. I think she was getting pissed at me about that point, but uh, (laughs) because I wasn't listening. (laughs) Anyway, she, she helped pull me up out of there. I looked around, kind of felt, looked at my leg because and I hit the middle of my shin bone in there. Uh, it felt fine. Uh, I kind of felt on my forehead and I felt blood or I looked down my hand and I saw blood. And she looked at it and she said, I'll get you fixed up when we get to Elk Creek. She's a registered nurse. So uh, she said she dairy stripped me right up. So at that point, I don't think I pulled over for any more people that were passing me unless I had an actual spot in the trail that I yeah. could kind of pull off. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you ever need uh, medical supplies and you're around AJ, she's got a whole, uh, 
<laughs> she's got her whole container in her back of her car that she carries it anytime i needed something medical wise and she was around i'd be like hey aj i need this <laughs> she's got it yeah between her and chris riley i wasn't too worried chris had all kinds of stuff too <laughs> so uh, about a mile and a half or came up under those creek crossings again and this time they were actually higher than they were the day before from the rain that happened overnight and right before we got to those creek crossings Teresa Lewis came up and uh, was ready to pass me and and we said hi and she looked strong looking good and and she threw some words back at me at, you know she asked me how I was doing I said well I'm getting tired and, and you know the name of my book was um, you, you didn't come this far to only come this far and so she paraphrased those and told me, you haven't come this far, Brian, don't come this far. And it was like, yep. So I kind of needed that. And got through the creek crossings. Chris had told me when I got to those creek crossings, kind of dip down into them and get your lower body, get in there and soak down and get wet. And yeah, it's I started nice. to do that, but I started to do that, but the flow of that water and the strength of my legs i thought i was going to be going downstream so i <laughs> that's actually it's really I, good advice but it's very hard to do <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's what it was uh when we got close to elk creek aj ran up in front of me and let the crew know i was coming and and she got her stuff out and the only time i'd sat down up to that point was just warming up in dan's suv uh, they sat me down this time and they wanted to change my shoes and socks out. And so, you know, I wasn't going to argue with them. Mm -hmm. So I sat there. That's when the most iconic picture of me got took by Nikki sitting in that chair. I looked like, <laughs> I looked like a prize fighter that should have quit about into the 12th, 13th round and not come out for the 15th round. So, but anyway, <laughs> got ready there you know getting socks on my damp feet uh jess was there my running partner from you know sioux falls area uh she grabbed one foot and chris riley had the other foot they you know i had like five pairs of shoes with me mm -hmm. and so they they had my bags of shoes there and said which one do you want so i picked these ones here and and so they got them on my feet and got them tied and uh I told him I was going to need help out of that chair and I didn't even wait for help out of the chair. I just stood up. I'm not sure how I got up out of that chair, but I did. But at that time it was starting to rain again. Uh, I must always had my rain gear because I don't think I need it. No, no, I, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, my next pacer was Jim. Uh, he didn't have ring gear on and I knew how fast I was going and he was going to freeze to death if he didn't have ring gear on. So <laughs> I told him, you better grab your ring gear. And so he did, which was a really good decision. Uh, you got that decent hill out of Elk Creek or yeah, to get to the real trailhead where they got some food up there. I don't even know if I stopped for a cookie or anything up there. I don't even know who was manning the aid station. I I must have been kind of out of it at that point. Uh, so Jim and I just kind of slopped through the water and the rain and talked about 
all kinds of stuff from college days to what was happening in the present. And even though it took a long time to get to Bulldog, I guess it wasn't as long as it could have been, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Got into Bulldog and that sun started shining again. And that was the first aid station. I thought, let's eat something. And they had some great choices there. They had baby boiled potatoes. I had a bunch of those. You know, I never lost my appetite ever. Uh, I was kind of getting tired of some of the stuff I was eating. Mm -hmm. So that was probably why I decided to stop there and and decided to eat some kind of real food. I had some broth. I had ham and cheese roll-up that they had there. Had some Coca-Cola, some ginger ale. And I was, I felt really, really good. I just couldn't run anymore, but I, I felt really good. So we took off. And as Jim said, it went from sunshine to shit in 15 minutes. And that was just <laughs> about right. And it just, it was just so depressing for me because you just, you have net downhill coming back. And especially from Elk Creek, once you get to the top of Elk Creek, I mean, you've got a couple hills, you know, Bulldog to go up, but there's just so much downhill. Mm-hmm. And with the way my quads felt and the slick conditions, I just couldn't take advantage of nothing. I mean, it was just, when it got to be level, I run in jogging short spurts. But then when the trail looked like it was big puddles and muddy again, I just quit and just start walking. Um, when we came out under the prairie there, uh, when you kind of break out of the hills, but you're still on the other side of the interstate yet, the wind really hit us there and my hands just started getting really cold. Um, this time going underneath the interstate, I didn't worry about the water underneath there. You just plow <laughs> right through it. And uh, at that point, uh, it was really, really slick on that section from uh, the interstate to Alkali. And I've ran on that section in the past in the wintertime when you, days that there might be snow when you start and when you're mm-hmm. coming back, there might be some melting on that section. It gets really slick and, and it was really slick. Um, got to Alkali. I was frozen again. Not as cold as I was earlier at Pilot's Knob, but I was cold. I went... Uh, they showed showed me where Dan was parked. I jumped in the SUV again. He turned the heater on. You know, Erica had my back, my vest again, filling it up. Uh, Dan was giving me hints. Dan was my last pacer of the whole uh, run. Um, I was feeling really bad that I knew Dan wanted to run. Um, and it was just going to be a hike. I warned Dan. I said, this is going to be, this is just going to take forever, Dan. I'm doing 20 minute miles probably at best. And I don't think he listened to a dang thing I was saying. He just, <laughs> said, you know, got my stuff, got my stuff. On. I changed shirts again there. I didn't give up my raincoat, even though the sun was starting to break up. And like I said, it was quit, had quit raining at Alkali, but I wasn't going anywhere without that rain jacket ever again, I guess. So, um, 
AJ was frantically looking for, I had some heavy duty mittens and they had my hand warmers ready, those disposable ones. And she couldn't find my mittens. And I thought, well, that's okay. I'll just wear gloves. And she finally found my mittens. I stuffed my hand warmers in them. And, but I couldn't get the mittens on because my hands were still damp yet. And so Erica just held on to the mittens and shoved my hands into them like you're, like you're a surgeon going into surgery type deal. <laughs> and Dan at this whole time, I just kept looking at him. He's bouncing around. He was so ready to go. He was just ready. And, and I, I felt sorry that Dan, we're not going to be running. <laughs> so we took off and, you know, it's kind of level for half mile or so before you have to climb, mm-hmm. you know, that big hill and Dan right away, you know, he's behind me, but he go, Brian, you know, this section looks pretty good. I think we can run. And I was like, he didn't listen to anything I just said to him. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll do a short spurt here. So I did. And I don't know, it was 18, 20, 22 steps. I don't remember. But Dan does. And he got, I got done. He said, Hey, you made it 22 steps. I thought, well, he's counting them. So I thought, well, we had time yet for one more of those before we got climbing onto the big hill. And, and this time I counted and he was right on. So he was counting my steps as I was running. And so we, you know, power hiked up to the top of uh, that hill. I, a couple times in there, I, I jogged for just here and there, a couple spots. But once we got to the top, Dan was just all over me again, which is a good thing, saying, you know, this is one of my favorite sections to run. Oh, is it, Dan? I guess. Okay, let's let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so I started running. That sounds like Forrest Gump. I just, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I would run until the trail looked like it was getting, <clears throat> excuse me, a little treacherous or they had more water water puddles on it and and I would just I'd start running again and I quit counting steps I know I counted the one time I got into the 50s and and so we you know we did stop for one selfie and I had my best and I couldn't get the zipper undone so I bet we had to lost three to five minutes there trying to get that camera out and I was going to give up on it, and Dan said, no, we can get it, we can get it. And finally, we did get it, but um, so that last five miles, once we got up the top of that hill, was surprisingly really well. Um, my crew was at, well, not the whole crew, but part of the crew, they were there at the old cemetery just to cheer us on at the Fort Meade Cemetery, because, you know, you can park there and walk over the trail, and and then when you come out at the Port Mead Trailhead area, they were there again. Uh, my family and the grandson, that guy, and the grandkids were right there by Port Mead because Marcus, my son, was working that day and at the fire hall there. And so they were there to cheer me on. And we got onto the bike path and we were running decent pace. And I thought, you know, I think we can run the whole way in. And then about halfway there, I thought, no, maybe we better not. Because I want to really make sure I can run at the finish. Mm -hmm. 
So I told Dan, I said, let me walk for, and there was a marker up there, some sort of tree. And Dan said, okay. And I couldn't believe he let me walk. <laughs> so, uh, so we walked that section. We didn't actually even walk as far as I wanted to walk or planned on walking because I thought, well, I feel good. So took off and felt really strong at the end and came across the finish line. And once again, that was, you know, when I hit that bike path, usually you regret hitting that bike path, but I was so happy to see that bike path. No more mm -hmm. water puddles, no more questionable footing. You're almost to the finish, you know, you got a mile at the most. Uh, so getting on that home stretch, I could hear my mom cheering from the car. I couldn't see exactly where she was at. I saw my sister, one of my sisters was there, a friend from Sturgis, Joyce was there cheering. I high-fived both of them. Um, the sidewalk was kind of a mess there, right there at the finish before you turn off to get to the oh, finish Yeah, line. I remember that. Yeah, like a tripping hazard. Yeah, so I made sure I high-stepped through there, no problem. That would have been the last thing I would have needed, a space plant there. <laughs> right so, in the finish line. <laughs> got to that finish line and you know happiness I was proud I was it didn't hit me yet you know Chris was there gave me the belt buckle Shannon was there gave me a hug and gave me the shirt I got on right now this is actually the first time I've worn it oh nice uh, I haven't worn the belt buckle yet but it's summertime. I really haven't had an occasion with shorts to wear it. But <laughs> and when I do, you know, I don't tuck my shirt in with, sh with shorts on. So I, uh, but I'm definitely going to find an occasion coming up that I'm going to have that belt buckle on. Lots of people at the finish line with hugs and well wishes. So it was, you know, my family wasn't there, which was, it just didn't work out. All the family, I should say, but. You know, they were getting updates from Erica and everybody was keeping informed where I was, that I was still in the, still in the hunt, still in the battle. So that was a whole lot of talking, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's yeah, awesome. Robbie's sitting there. Robbie's looking yeah. bored shitless. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just listening. It's good. No, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Tell us what kind of gear you're using. Uh, for my headgear, you know, in the summertime, I usually have a hat on. Uh, anytime it's half cold at all, I always got a buff on. Mm -hmm. And the more colorful, the better. Kind of like thinking like you do on that stuff. Yeah, got to be colorful. Why not? Brighten the world yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, not, not all of them are that I have that. Uh, most of them are. Uh, as far as shirts go, you know, nothing in particular. They're usually shirts that I get at races or something like that. Uh, oh, I have both a Solomon vest and a Nathan vest. I had a Nathan vest for the 50 mile. Uh, I got a hold of you. You know, I'd heard some of your podcasts and it, everybody wanted Solomon's or mm -hmm. everybody loved Solomon's. So I ended up investing in a Solomon. They're just really uh, hard vests to beat. They're not, they're just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I had my original one that, that I 
bought three years ago and it stills magic. <laughs> you know, I was a little bit worried. Who was it? Jess had her one of her straps break right before Bighorn, so she had to get one ordered. Oh no. But I thought, well, if that happens, I got my Nathan along just in case. But yeah. you know, nothing happened. But, uh during the race I had for I had my waist light. I'd gotten hold of Mike Bent and he had Ultra Aspire. So if that works good enough for Mike, that works good for Brian. Uh, I'd had a black, I have a black diamond headlamp and, and for my birthday last year, Gene had gotten me uh, trekking poles and she'd gotten, actually got a hold of Mike on that one and, and I had black diamond poles. Nice. Uh, they're supposed to be able to put them out, extend them and, and put them back, you know, collapse them pretty quick and easy. I can't do that. And, I really don't need to. I just keep them open the whole time. So <laughs> I did reach out to Mike again on footwear and, and he said he swore by uh, smart wool socks. So that's what I got. Uh, I was looking for a pair of compression shorts and I really didn't, I'd looked at a whole bunch online, but I'm always worried about the sizing and everything. I made a trip out to the hills in May to do some trail running with, you know, with friends. So I stopped in at Black Hills Running Company and talked to Mike Alden there, and and I bought a couple pair there. Uh, I really liked them. They're they're just CEP is what they say. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what that stands for, but that's the brand, and I, you know, that's. Other than that, if I don't have compression shorts on, I just have regular, you know, running shorts, mm-hmm. you know, nothing special. Uh, for the footwear, uh, Ultra Lone Peaks. Uh, I do really like those. I do take out the liners in them and I put a, uh, a different liner inside of them. It probably doesn't. So I'm probably not at the zero drop, which is fine with me. Uh, but it's a, it's an extra cushion in there uh, for those long runs. I do like that. I like the toe space in them. And the part I really like about them is they sit low to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had some twists of the ankles and stuff that happen, and it's just nice to be able to have enough reaction time. You, you start that twist. A little bit shorter to the ground, I guess. Is what I'm yeah, saying. yeah. Uh, I do have some Hoka Speed goats that I did buy. Uh, the trails around Sioux Falls are trails that are they're they're actual trails, but the tripping hazards are almost nothing compared to Black Hills. So mm-hmm. I, I feel comfortable in those. Where those there? I do like a lot of the time. I'll wear compression sleeves on my calves especially if the grass starts getting taller. I didn't in the hundred and my calves felt fine. It was my quads that gave out on me. So I guess that's kind of it on my, you know, nothing really special. You know, I'll take, take whatever, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not not picky. Well, um, you know, right before we end it, we always ask a, another question of our guest, um, you know, trying to grow our network. We always ask who's someone that has inspired you, who's someone that 
has a great story that uh, we could have on our podcast that's in your network. Yes. You know, I've listened up to your podcast. I knew this question was coming up <laughs> and it's, it's a difficult question. I mean, anybody that I've got in my book is worthy for sure. I mean, everybody's got a story to tell for sure. Um, you know, I guess what would be interesting is to have somebody like Alicia Porchon, uh, who is a physical therapist mm -hmm. that I've relied on in the past and who is a really, really good runner with that too. I mean, she won the women's half this year at, uh, at Deadwood Mickelson. Uh, she's placed second in the 50 mile the same year I ran the 50 mile. Yeah. She's an incredible um, and, runner. Yeah. You know, it might be interesting to talk to somebody that puts up with the aches and pains like we have to, and <laughs> what, what did she do to stay on top of things? Cause yep. she, I know she gets some nagging injuries too, or, you know, does she take time off right away or does she, can she go ahead and dry needle herself and, <laughs> and, and get back going quicker than the rest of us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, my coach from college, Dave Little is one that he's been around longer than Dan and I, you know, and he's seen everything and changes in running. Jim Moorback, guy I ran with in college, who would still be running today if his body could take it, but he turned into a biker and he's turned into one heck of a biker. Mm. Incredible athlete. You know, so I guess those would be the ones that, you know, jump out at me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, so we got lots a, of them. We put them on the list. So we'll, uh, we'll reach out. Well, we'll give you a second to, uh, to give a shout out to whoever you want. I'm sure that there's a few people you'd like to thank for helping you be successful in this hundred. I always oh, say that it's an individual event made possible by a team. So, um, I, I think that stands true with you as well. Um, also mention where people can find you if they want to want to follow you. Yeah, there's not much to follow with me. <laughs> I mean, I'm on, I'm on Strava, but I only post my runs. I don't post all my other stuff that I do, my weight training and my walking and my, you know, I don't get like Lance Smith. I know Mike Dent has talked, you know, <laughs> Lance posts videos all the time. He's incredible on Strava doing that. So I'm kind of boring and most of my stuff is just selfies, you know, I'll put stuff on Instagram sometimes and Facebook once in a while, but they're always the same stuff. It's just usually a trail on my app. And so it's kind of boring. The only thing <laughs> that could get interesting is when I write my race reports and, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, everybody that helped me in that hunter for sure, you know, Candace and Jim, Erica, you know, the crew chief, uh, AJ, uh, Chris Riley, Dan, you know, they, it was just incredible that what they, you know, they didn't really sleep through the night either and trying to stay warm and <clears throat> out of the rain and, you know, be, be kind of guessing when you're going to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, Julie Wigan, you know, I went to her in 2012. You know, if I, <clears throat> if I don't make that visit to her, you know, I'm not sitting here today completed a hundred miler, mm -hmm. you know, it just, you know, I, I was blessed to have three great coaches in high school and college. 
So the trail running community is, is incredible. You know, if you got a question, all you gotta do is ask and you're gonna get an answer. Um, one suggestion I would kind of make for some people is, I, I know some people that if they forget their watch, they probably won't run. <laughs> I call it running unplugged. And I kind of <laughs> like to do that once in a while. You know, just go out and enjoy it. Just mm -hmm. take in the scenery and, and just enjoy the time out, you know, on the trail. Um, but then you also hear the argument, you know, if it doesn't get posted on Strava, did it really even happen? So. <laughs> a tree falls in the woods and no one heard it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, and I'd like to thank you guys. You guys have a credible show here. You know, well, I listen, I think I've listened about every, most every podcast that you guys have put out. And I know this takes up your time and your, I'm sure the pay is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I really enjoy it. I, I love hearing stories like yours. And it's just like, you know, we always hear podcasts about the elites, but it's the, it's the everyday people are the ones that, you know, I think have a better story. And so that's, you know, that's, that's why we do it. Obviously the, I, I was the, well, the pay is so good too. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked to see you at Dalton Lake out of, when I came out of there on the way out and you were doing interviews on the trail. Yep. Yep. So I remember I stopped. You, got, you want to do a quick interview, Brian? Sure. And I stopped and you're like, no, 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 no. Keep running. Keep running. <laughs> so I'm not even really sure what you asked me. It's something about nutrition and how old I was, I think. But anyway, that was kind of, that was kind of neat. You were out there. Yeah. Yeah. That. We had fun with it. So yeah, good. <clears throat> well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling your story. I can't wait for it to come out. Um, it's it's going to be a really good one. It's, uh, you know, it's it was an incredible journey, and I, I can't wait to see what you accomplish next. Hey, well, thank you, guys. Absolutely. We'll see you on the trail somewhere. We'll see you out there. Hey, if you okay. like this podcast, please uh, subscribe, to the, subscribe to us. Uh, leave us a like. Uh, share it with your friends. Download it. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a review. It helps more people find the podcast. Thank you. We'll see you out there.